South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm Nabil Biagio in Washington, working on this program via remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan and Sudan this Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. Thousands of people have been displaced in renewed violence in South Sudan's Upper Nile State. When the fighting started, communities fled from Tunjar town to others like Panyikang, Pakang, and Dolapeng. In a court in Rumbek has acquitted five teachers accused of engaging in public disorder. They have right to open a case against the ministry who happened to arrest them because they did not uh, commit any crime. That one is unlawful arrest. We will have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. A United Nations diplomat from South Sudan has been accused of rape in New York. Multiple news sources identified the suspect as Charles Dickens Emene Oliha and reported that he raped a woman living in his building in Manhattan twice on Sunday. Media reports say Oliha was arrested on Monday and after a brief interrogation with the New York Police Special Victims Unit, he was released because of his diplomatic immunity. The office of the New York City Police Department spokesperson refused to identify the suspect, saying they can only do so once a suspect has been charged with a crime. The spokesperson's office shared the following statement with South Sudan in focus. Quote, on August 21, 2022, at 12 p.m. at a location known to the department in the confines of the 34th precinct, there is a report on file for rape. A female victim known to the department states that when she arrived at the location, a male suspect opened the front door to the building and then followed her up the steps and pushed his way into her apartment. The suspect then forced the victim to engage in sexual intercourse and fled the location. The investigation remains ongoing, end quote. This program made several calls to South Sudan's permanent representative to the United Nations, Akwe Bona Malwal, for comment, but he did not respond to the calls. South Sudan in focus reached South Sudan's Minister of Foreign Affairs, Mayig Ayideng, this past hour, and he had this to say about the alleged rape incident in New York involving one of his staff. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation of the Republic of South Sudan, uh, this morning, the 23rd of August, 2022, has learned with regret the alleged rape incident involving one of our um, one of our diplomats at uh, the permanent mission in New York. Uh, the report from the permanent mission indicated that one of our diplomats was accused of rape by one of the local women in New York City. Uh, he was briefly interrogated and detained by the NYC police. However, as per the report, the investigation is still ongoing and will soon have a clearer details of what has transpired in the incident. The administration, myself and the administration of this ministry, uh, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Cooperation, is paying keen attention to this report uh, and will urgently takes appropriate measure to address it very soon. That was South Sudan's Foreign Affairs Minister, Mayik Ayideng, is speaking to VOA this past hour. 
Thousands of people have been displaced following conflicts in areas between Malakal and Tonga of South Sudan's Upper Nile State. The United Nations Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, or UNOJA, says more than 5,000 people have fled to Abu Job in Adijang, while others reached the protection of civilian side in Malakal this week. Viola Elias has more for VOA from Juba. In an update on Tonga clashes released on Monday, UNOCHA said the escalation in tensions and conflict in Tonga has displaced thousands of people in the area. UNOCHA says a rapid assessment eight agencies carried out two days ago shows some 2,000 people fled from Tonga to Aganjok while more than 3,000 people fled to Abujok. It says 2,000 others arrived in Adieng, which is about 25 kilometers from the Upper Nile state capital, Malakal. Speaking to this program earlier today, Mustafa Gai, the commissioner of Upper Nile state Panyikan County, said at least 27,000 people fled from Panikang's Tungyar village because of ongoing fighting there. He says the displaced are in their needs of humanitarian assistance. When the fighting started, communities fled from Tungyar town to others like Panikang, Pakang, and Dolapeng. Their situation is so dire and they are in need of food, shelter, mosquito nets, and medicine. The UN Children Agents Chief of Communication, James Maiden, says the agent is saddened by the ongoing conflict in the Upper Nile region, forcing thousands of women and children to flee their homes. He says children's safety and well-being should be safeguarded at all times. Many have walked days in the swamps and bush and leaving behind all their belongings. UNICEF teams have mobilised pre-positioned supplies to deliver services on land and on water to those most in need. Priorities been scaled up include identification and support for separated or unaccompanied children, emergency medical care, treatment and prevention of malnutrition and access to safe water to protect lives and well-being. Fighting intensified on August 14th and 15th in Pakwang and Fangak counties of Upper Nile State. The latest violence follows last month's fighting in Panikang County between rival forces of General Samuel Gatwich and General Johnson Ulonj, two senior commanders of a breakaway SPLMIO faction. The two rebel leaders had a falling out in the recent months after signing an agreement with the government in Sudan. In June, the SPLMIG and the holdout Kidguang Agwelek forces said they began implementing the security arrangement. In 2017, the UN High Commissioner for refugees call for an end to the conflict in South Sudan. Filippo Grande met the remarks after he visited South Sudanese refugees in the region. Grande said a long period of exile lies ahead for South Sudanese refugees, fleeing the violence, noting that over a million South Sudanese refugees have fled to neighboring countries. The UN Refugees Agent says more than 417,000 South Sudanese refugees are sheltering in Sudan since the conflict broke out in 2013. Last month, the head of the UN mission in South Sudan expressed grief concern at the ongoing situation in Pangak Town, a stronghold for opposition forces in the Upper Nile region. For VOA News, I am Viola Elias in Juba. A court in Lake State's Rumbek Central County has freed five teachers after dismissing all charges of public order against them. The teachers were detained two months ago. William Sunday Mabo reports for VOA from Rumbek. 
On June 20th, Lagos State Education Minister Nelson McCoy ordered 30 teachers be arrested after the teachers went on a strike and demanded they be paid in full according to the new salary structure issued by the National Ministry for General Education. All but the six teachers were later preached. The six teachers were transferred from Panda military barracks to Rumbek Central Prison after several calls by civil society activists and teachers' family members urging leg state officials to free teachers or charge them with an offense. The teachers were arranged in court on August 10th. The public prosecutor Michael Wade told the court the teachers were charged under Section 48. 80 and 86 of South Sudan Penal Court Act 2008, which criminalizes public disorder. Rumbe County Court presiding judge Michael Lakale freed one teacher and released five other teachers on bail. The five teachers were ordered to appear in court last week for hearing. Today, Judge Akhil dismissed the charges against the remaining five teachers. David Kamanbol, the teacher's defense lawyer, says the court dismissed the case against the teachers for a lack of evidence under Section 256 of South Sudan's Criminal Procedures Act. Bol says, finally, justice has been served. I'm happy because the judge is the one who knows the legal procedures. We have been praying all this time so that these teachers could be released because they did not commit any crime. Somebody who came to your office and asked is right. It's not a crime, by the way. What they were requesting is the increment of their salary. Ball says the teachers will sue the Lagos State Education Minister for arresting and detaining them under false pretense. Ball says the teachers have a right to sue the ministry for defamation and to seek damages for the suffering they endured while in detention. They have right to open a case against the ministry who happened to arrest them because they did not uh, commit any crime. That one is unlawful arrest. They have been detained without any procedures taken. So the, the, the ministry concerned, Ministry of Education, should pay that the, 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 the cost. Teacher Emmanuel Mapormabur says he and other four free teachers welcome today's court ruling. Pleasure to have good news today that we are set free. So it is wonderful things. That we are very happy, all of us, who are much concerned about the human dignity. In fact, the law is alive, but it is an ignorant, by the way. Uh, the law is ignored at the end of, uh, of the days because in the 20, up to today, we spend like six or five days. Mabor appealed to human rights groups, civil society activists, and the national government to investigate the matter and ensure the teachers are compensated for the suffering they endured. Our field as teachers at large, especially we who are detained in a military barrack, is that is starting from the governor, uh, residency, civil society, and the council of the state for interventions. What are they going to convene us for these uh, disturbances? Because what we are doing is not for our own. It is belong to the nations. Uh, in fact, as you see us here, we are minority. John Man Mading, the director for administration and finance at the Lake State Education Ministry, who was a state witness in the case, declined to comment. Eyewitnesses say Mading left the court without speaking to anyone after judges dismissed the case. This program called Mading several times for comments on the matter, but his unknown phone contacts were unreachable.
Defense lawyer Ball says the ministry should have handled the teachers' grievances as an administrative case rather than locking them up in a military barracks. It's not a criminal case. They are civilian. They, they are not supposed to be arrested in the military barrack. This is an abuse. This is an abuse and this is a violation of human rights also. Last week, while National Education Minister Awu Dengashwil was in Rumbek for an annual general education review, the issue of teachers' salaries and motivation was front and center. Minister Ashwil said all teachers should be paid according to the new salary structure approved by the government. For VOA News, I am William Sandemabur, reporting in Rumbek Leg State. to South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, we hear from South Sudanese refugees living in Sudan. Stay tuned. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today. What do you do? When you are in a bad mood, I usually would move away from the environment of the agitation and then get a quiet place and pray. Usually when I'm done praying, the agitation and the stress, I get some amount of relief. Sometimes I decide to sleep and maybe read a novel that can make my mind come like back to normal. Yeah, that's what I normally do. I'd rather stay alone and I listen to music, uplifting music, music that has good lyrics that would uplift my spirit. Okay, when I'm in the bad mood, I sometimes I play video games just to make me feel happy. Actually, I call mom, I talk to her, tell her what's disturbing me, she advises me then, it's a done deal. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. This is a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. Hello, I'm VOA health correspondent Lenore Moudou. The World Health Organization and Africa Centers for Disease Control say we all can help fight the coronavirus pandemic by wearing face masks that cover our mouths and noses when we are in crowded areas. For more information, check with reliable sources such as the WHO and Africa CDC. And remember to listen to VOA for the latest news on COVID-19. That was a message in the public interest from VOA Africa. South Sudan in focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. You're listening to South Sudan in focus on the voice of America. Some South Sudanese refugees living in various camps in Sudan's White Nile state are protesting a decision by aid organizations 
in camps to cut down food rations as from this month. The UN World Food Program said in June they were forced to cut food assistance to Sudan and South Sudan due to a funding crunch and rising needs. Some refugees say they have nowhere else to find food. Michael Atid reports for VOA from Khartoum. South Sudanese refugees in Sudan, most of whom are women, have been protesting at the main entrance of the World Food Program office in Sudan's White Nile state over the past few days, saying it is unfair to cut their food ratios at a time when the refugees are in dire need of food. Speaking to South Sudan in focus via phone from Al-Kashaf refugee camp in White Nile state, Julia Ramadan describes the decision as shocking. Ramadan, a mother of seven, says any cuts of food ratios will hurt her family. She's appealing with eight organizations to give them the full ratio. We are surprised with the decision about the new food ration distribution. Since yesterday, they started giving refugees families half of the monthly quota. If I take the amount of sorghum I received for grinding, it will not last for 10 days. Ramadan says women continue to face hardships during war, in refugee camps, and in all aspects of life. She said aid groups should consider this before cutting ratios. We as women are the ones bearing the suffering every day. We take care of kids alone. Men normally go to the market or to the place of work and come late. Women are those who endure the sufferings. Another South Sudanese refugee, Bulus Pajuan, who also lives in Al Kashaf refugee camp, says the refugees were not informed in advance about the cut in ratios. Pajuan, who heads a family of seven, says the refugees are at risk of facing hunger this rainy season. He says at this time of the year, there is no much casual work refugees could find to take care of their families. We kept on protesting about this decision, but at the end of the day, we are forced to face this reality. We are hungry and we don't have a choice rather than receiving what has been given to us. They put pressure on us and we have surrendered and are now getting half pressure. Pajuan, who fled violence in Upper Nile State in 2014, says he prefers to return to South Sudan rather than suffering in the camp. He says he understands that the political, social and economic situation in Sudan is becoming difficult and therefore hope to return to his home in Melakal town soon. At the end of this rainy season, most of us men have decided to go back to South Sudan to assess the situation, find something to do and provide for our families. Even though we know that there is insecurity there, we don't have any choice only to go back to South Sudan. The UN humanitarian coordinator in Sudan, Eddie Rowe, told this program in late June that about a third of Sudan's population or 15 million people face acute food insecurity. The combined effects of the economic and political crisis, conflict and displacement, climate shocks, including droughts and floods, and a poor harvest in the past agricultural season are among the key drivers of food insecurity in Sudan. To compound the situation, the conflict in Ukraine is further driving up food and fuel prices in Sudan, which is dependent on food imports, with more than half of the country's wheat imports stemming from the Black Sea region. White Nile State hosts about 300,000 South Sudanese refugees, a majority of whom fled violence in Upper Nile State, according to a UN refugee agency report released in July 2022. For VOA News, I am Michael Atit in Khartoum.
Today is a day of reflection in Angola following the conclusion of campaigning on Monday for the country's August 24 parliamentary and presidential elections. The Opposition National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, UNITA, led by Adalberto Costa Jr., held its final rally in the capital, Luanda. The ruling popular movement for the liberation of Angola, MPLA, led by President Joa Lorenko, held its final campaign event last Saturday. Myra Ferdinandes of VOS Portuguese Service is in Luanda covering Wednesday's elections. She tells VOS James Batty, Angolan opposition leader Costa Jr. called for a free and fair vote on Wednesday. Election campaign, it's closed. The parties have tried to convince the undecided voters to vote for them. And the last one to do it was UNITA. UNITA held the, the rally on Monday in Luanda, that is the biggest polling place in Angola, to about 12,000 people that were present at the Kazeng neighborhood, right outside of Luanda. It was a huge, huge crowd. People were yelling, my president, it's time to change. The time is now. They were really, really into the energy that uh, Mr. Albert Costa Jr. has been bringing to this race. Myra, so Adalberto Costa Jr., what was his message on his final day of campaigning to the people of Angola? What did he talk about? Adalberto Costa Jr. asked the confidence, the trust from the voters. He asked for a free and fair election. He promised that if he wins, he will leave the party's leadership to separate the state and partidarism is something that he says that MPLA wasn't able to do for this 47 years that MPLA has been in power. Adalberto Costa Jr., similar to uh, Mr. João Lorenzo that had a rally on Saturday the 20th, also promised to fight corruption, promised a transparent government and a more inclusive government. I read an article where Alberto Costa Jr. is talking about the ruling party being anti-democracy, suggesting in that article that he might even challenge the results, but yet he says he has confidence in the people of Angola. What does that mean? So today at this uh, last rally, Alberto Costa Jr. touched that subject, subject again, and he said that the ruling party has been holding the state institutions hostage. And that is because you need uh, delegates to monitor the election on the 24th haven't get their credentials yet. The same thing happened to the civil society movement Muday. This movement has been very active in this process and they are all still waiting to get their credentials to be able to monitor the voting on the 24th of August. UNITA filed an official complaint on the 22nd at the Constitutional Court exactly because of that. Are there any international observers uh, in Angola for this election? Oh, there are plenty of them, actually. At the rally, there were the CPLP, the Community of Countries of uh, Portuguese Language, also SADEC are here, African Union, all of them are here. And there's a lot of expectation from the voters towards the, the international observers. They really hope the international observers to be some kind of check and balance.
That was Myra of VOA's Portuguese service speaking with my colleague James Batty from Luanda, the capital of Angola. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Today, despite all the modern tools we have at our disposal, we're experiencing the worst global food security crisis I have ever seen, said U.S. Ambassador to the U.N. Linda Thomas-Greenfield. In Africa, one out of every five people is undernourished, one in five. Food insecurity means families are not able to provide for their children. It means children not getting the nutrition they need to succeed at school. And in the worst cases, it means famine. And famine means death. That's why we have to be determined to stamp out hunger. To do that, she said, we must look at what is driving food insecurity in the first place. I see four clear causes. What I call the E and the three C's. Energy, climate, covid and conflict. Energy prices have gone up in the past year, and because energy is indispensable in food production, high energy prices mean more expensive food. The first C stands for climate change. The climate crisis is a crisis of natural disasters, of floods and storms and heat waves, but it also directly leads to food security crises. The second C is COVID. COVID-19 gave us an immediate and additional shock to the system, said Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. Before COVID, 100 million people were food insecure. Three years later, just in three years, that number jumped to over 190 million people. Then there is a third C, which I believe is the most insidious source of hunger, said Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. That is hunger caused by conflict, hunger that is caused intentionally, hunger used as a weapon of war. All of these problems, energy, climate, COVID, and conflict, combine into a complex cocktail that has led to the worst hunger crisis of our lifetimes, said Ambassador Thomas Greenfield. Finally, because conflicts can weaponize hunger and force people to leave their homes, which puts strains on the food systems of surrounding countries, Ambassador Thomas Greenfield announced more than $127 million in additional humanitarian assistance to support refugees, asylum seekers, internally displaced persons, stateless persons, and persecuted people across Africa. Now is the moment to work together across governments, across countries, between people to end hunger, she said. Now is the moment to forge partnerships with civil society, the private sector, to galvanize the diaspora, to take advantage of new technologies and better techniques, to build the food systems and the structures of the future. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. That's all we prepared for you this Tuesday. Thanks for allowing us into your homes, cars, and on your phones. Join us again tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America.
Oh 